Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2244 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing the message as I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This is the eighth of 25 messages in our series covering the book of Hebrews. This message is titled, God's Son, Our High Priest. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Well, last week, we continued our extended series in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And last week, we learned that the great physician will perform spiritual surgery on us if we allow him to. And that was Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And today we will learn how God's son is also our high priest. Now, in the first section of Hebrews, just to give an overview of where we've come from in chapters 1 through 4, we saw a clear and compelling proof that Christ is superior in his person. We saw him standing in the place of preeminence over the prophets in chapter 1. We saw him shining brighter than the angels in chapters 1 and 2. We saw that he stands out over Moses and Joshua in chapters 3 and 4. And his ministry provides the most significant rest, much more significant rest for us than what the law could provide, and that his word reaches deep into our hearts to heal us. And that was chapter 4. Now we're starting a second section of Hebrews, chapters 5 through 10. And just given an overview of what's coming up, the author delves deeper into another side of the book, and that book's central theme. He expands the concept of the Messiah's preeminence over the Old Covenant law, the priesthood, which was already touched on a bit in chapter 4, and he gives us, presents specific examples how Jesus, heavenly priesthood, is superior to the priesthood of the earthly high priest, such as Aaron. In chapter 5, we're going to look at that. And just as much as the new covenants are greater than the old covenants, we'll look at in chapter 6 and 7, and then as once and for all sacrifice for sin is greater than the whole Mosaic sacrificial system. And those will be in chapters 7 and 8. <clears throat> the Jewish believers in Jesus, who were originally the, the original recipients of the book of Hebrews, needed a firm understanding of the Messiah superior as a priest. At the time, the Jews thought of the Messiah as an earthly king who would sit in Jerusalem as a powerful monarch and free the nation of Israel from those oppressors. The idea of the Messiah as a heavenly ministry, as a high priest, really didn't come into the minds of the Hebrews, the Jews of that day. They didn't really ponder that Jesus was also the high priest. But by showing that the Messiah was not only the king, but also the priest, the author of Hebrews further strengthens the central theme of the book of Hebrews, that Christ is superior in his person, which we've gone over now, but also in his work. So follow along with me in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. It's on page 1866 of your pew Bibles, starting with verse 1. <clears throat> Every high priest is selected among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weaknesses. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sin, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor himself, but he receives it when he is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, 
But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And it says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears, and he's the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his irreverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who believe in or who obey him. And he was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. I want to start with a story from Job. Think about Job who suffered more than probably anybody in all of the scriptures. He sat in a crumpled pile of ashes and was scraping himself with pieces of pottery from the boils that were on his skin. Job bemoaned his conditions as his three well-meaning friends came and tried to desperately find some sort of cause for this seemingly unjust plight. Amid his moans of pain and sorrow, his lament turned upward and forward. Deep in his soul, he just yearned for someone, anyone, to rise from the dust and the ashes of our earthly suffering to present humanity's case before the throne of God. Job longed for an advocate, a mediator, a representative who could stand for his cause. Job speaks for all suffering humanity. In these pitiful words in Job chapter 9, verses 32 through 35, Job said, God is not mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together, the mediator could make God stop beating me, and I would no longer live in terror of this, his punishment. Then I could speak to him without fear. But I cannot do this in my own strength. Well, the good news for Job and for all of us is this prophetic anticipation is what we have in Jesus Christ, our advocate. As if answering Job's plea, the Apostle Paul proclaimed in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God with humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. As both God and man, Jesus Christ was that perfect advocate. The one to whom Job searched had appeared in the Gospels. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Jesus Christ mediates between God and and us as our high priest. He's continually interceding on our behalf. We no longer need a frail, mortal human priest to present our cause before God, to offer sacrifices for us, or to represent God to us. Because of the relationship we have with the heavenly high priest now, we can draw near to God through him. We can confess our sins to him. We can bring him our needs. We can bring our requests and petitions to him. And most importantly, that high priest is not some subordinate, some finite creature that needs a mediator himself to cope with his sins. He is the eternal son of God. And he has been made humanity, made perfect because of, because of his full divinity. He is our superior high priest. Now, the original first century Jewish readers of Hebrews 
would have fully grasped the idea of a high priest. They knew that very well because it was ingrained in their Jewish laws and their Jewish practices. They were acquainted with the system of sacrifices, the rituals, blood, altars, fire, incense, and prayers that were offered up to God, chosen by God's chosen people, who was the nation of Israel. So when the author of Hebrews begins to compare and contrast a heavenly priesthood of the Messiah with an earthly priesthood, that temporal priesthood, that of the tabernacle and the temple, they would have had a very clear picture. They would have been able to picture that temple, the holy place, the most holy place. And they would have understood the concept of the priest. And as we work through Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 today, we'll try to paint a picture for our 21st century mindset because we don't grasp it like that first century Jew would have. We want to grasp that significance of Jesus Christ as being our high priest. In verses 1 through 4 Hebrews, of Hebrews 5, it isn't the first time that the author of Hebrews mentioned Jesus Christ as our high priest. Because in chapter 2, verse 17, he said, Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that we could, he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer the sacrifices that would take away the sins of the people. In chapter 3, verse 1, he also mentioned, he urged his readers to think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare as God's messenger and high priest. And at the end of Hebrews chapter 4, 4 verses 14 and 15, he's described as a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. He says, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of, our, of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings as we do, Yet he did not sin. Now, if you look in your bulletin insert on the side, it says God's son, our high priest. We want to look at the priesthood in the order of Aaron, the earthly priesthood. <clears throat> he begins an earnest exploration of the Messiah as our high priest. He starts by reminding the readers of something that they were no doubt familiar with, the qualifications of an earthly priest. He lists three simple but vital qualifications. The first Qualification that was necessary of the earthly priest to represent the people's matters in relationship to God. He was their stand-in. He was representing people before God and God before the people. Second qualification was he is to offer the gifts and sacrifices for sin. If people wanted to worship God by offering a gift or a sacrifice, they had to do it through the priest. In verse 1, there was no stipulations for bypassing the priests in worshiping God through gifts and sacrifices. None of the people of God had the freedom to sacrifice themselves before God. They had to come to that high priest. And the third qualification is he had to deal gently with those who were ignorant or those without knowledge and those who were going astray. But note the indications of the high priest's deficiencies themselves, the earthly high priest. In verse 1, he was a mere man among men. In verse 2, he was hampered by common weaknesses. In verse 3, he was also sinful, like the people he represented. In verse 4, he had no honor in himself, but only honor that was given to him by God. Now, in these few verses, the author of Hebrews sets up a fixed pattern of qualifications for the office of high priest and the tacit acknowledgement that every man who filled that office of high priest was imperfect. He was not perfect. Yes, he represented the people, 
but he had sin himself he had to sacrifice for. The concept of an advocate or mediator was fine, but the problem was the nature of the mediator himself was not perfect before God. As the very first high priest of the Jewish people, the Hebrews, Aaron was named as the primary model for this office of high priest in verse 4. Yet even Aaron, as great as he was, had been chosen from the people. He was weak. He sinned like every other person. He had no honor in himself, but only that God gave him that honor. Of course, they could dress him up in priestly garments, fine-looking robes, give him a grand title, and endow him with all sorts of holy responsibilities. But at the end of the day, those high priests were still human, just like you and me. The fact is this. Such an imperfect priesthood was never meant to be permanent. When Christ set up, or when God set up the priesthood in the Old Testament through Moses, it wasn't meant to be a permanent priesthood. God never intended the priest to offer up sacrifices on an ongoing basis in an inadequate system on a continual basis. All along, God had planned to say, as Jesus Christ declared on the cross right before he died, it is finished. What was finished? The whole Old Testament law and the priesthood because the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, finished that phase. It established in a permanent priesthood through a perfect priest at that point. As we look at verses 5 through 10 of chapter 5, the author compares and contrasts the earthly priesthood typified by Aaron, who was the first high priest, and the heavenly priesthood established by Christ. The words in verse 5, or verse 5 says, in the same way, comparing Aaron's calling as a priest in respect to Jesus's and Aaron were similar. Just as Aaron was called by God and was given honor in verse 4, so Jesus too was anointed by God to offer God the Father and was endowed by the special glory as a capacity of high priest in verse 5. But the comparison ends there between Aaron and Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrew makes it clear that Christ and his honor and glory were not something that God merely bestowed on him as he did with Aaron, but it was something that was rightfully his as the divine son of God. Now in this passage, the author of Hebrews quotes two different psalms. First one is Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And he also quoted this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. The author reminds us that Jesus was not merely qualified to be a priest, but he is also exalted an anointed king. Then also in Psalm chapter 110, verse 4, he draws these two offices together, firming up the identification of the Messiah both as a king and a priest. The priest in the order of Melchizedek. You might say, who in the world is Melchizedek? What was his role? Melchizedek was a high priest long before Aaron, long before the nation of Israel, at the beginning of the calling of Abram, before he was even called Abraham. And this is found in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 20. Let me read that. After Abram returned from his victory over Kedalomer, it's a difficult city, and all his allies... The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavev, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and high priest of the Most High God, brought Abram some bread and some wine. 
Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed is Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered. So this is a mystic, a little bit strange type of person. And we'll get into more of this in chapter 7. But he was a high priest before God, long before God established the order of Aaron as a priesthood. Melchizedek was a little-known king of Salem, way before God established that Aaronic priesthood. And here's the difference between Aaron's earthly priesthood and Jesus' heavenly priesthood as it stands in sharp contrast. In the order of Melchizedek, Christ is a priest forever. Aaron's priesthood was limited just during his lifetime. Melchizedek, which some believe was a theophany or maybe a pre-incarnate Christ that offered the sacrifices for Abram. We'll get into that a little bit more, but it's a sharp priesthood comes with distinct this, this distinction that was addressed more later in the book of Hebrews. The author provides though, a brief glimpse in chapter, or verses 7 through 9 of the life and the character of Jesus as he operated his earthly ministry in a priestly function. In verse 7 it says, days of Jesus' life on earth, talking about referring to Jesus' life on earth as he performed some of those priestly functions. And the next few statements remind us once again that he was perfect, he was sinless. He was all God, but he was all human. Yes, he is God's unique one, his one and only, his only begotten son, who was enthroned eternally in the heavenly realm. But to prevent us from thinking that Jesus was some otherworldly person, sort of aloof, a cosmic figure that's represented in some artwork and some icons, the writer of Hebrews paints us a picture of Christ in much more realistic earthly tones. The Son of God submitted entirely to his Father's will when he was here on earth. In verse 7 it says, He offered up prayers and petitions and fervent cries and with tears, the one who could save him from death. Of course, Jesus was without sin. He had an impeccable divine nature. God ultimately answered his prayer of salvation from death by raising him from the dead. In submission to his true, as a true human, he was subjected to the sufferings of this world just as we are. The eternal son learned obedience through his suffering. The verb translated learned here is methano, which means not simply to acquire book smarts. He didn't just learn book smarts. But he came to the realization less through instruction and more through experience and practice. Thinking of the nature of Christ's learned obedience, one common commentator put it this way, he happens to have the last name of Guthrie, is as in considering the divine son, it may be difficult to attach any meaning to the learning process, but in thinking of his son as a perfect man, it becomes intelligible. When Luke says of Jesus in advanced in learning in chapter 2, verse 52, he means that by his progressive process through his life, he showed by obedience to his Father's will a continuance of making God's will his own will, reaching a climax as he approached death. The cry of acceptance in the Garden of Gethsemane 
was a concluding evidence of his son's obedience to the father when he said, not my will, but thine. This was his learned obedience as a fully human, but fully divine person. In this way, the author of Hebrews describes the Son of God as being made perfect, that is, complete, meaning complete. Jesus had completed his task on earth as a human. He continu his continual life of obedience to the Father began when he was born in Bethlehem as an infant. He took on humanity. He took on human flesh, and it reached its climax in the Garden of Eden as he went to the cross to be our sacrifice. The Apostle Paul, your Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. You must have the same attitude of which Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was, being born, was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. It's not that the son was imperfect and needed to be made perfect, or that he was disobedient and needed to learn obedience. Jesus' mission of total obedience was accomplished through his suffering and his death here on earth. The earthly phase of eternal priesthood was now complete. As a result, in verse 9, it says, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It's through his obedience to God the Father that God the Son fulfilled all the requirements of the law, fulfilled all the priestly requirements, and was now able to be our high priest. So what's the application of Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10? That's on the other side of your bulletin insert. Christ's perfect priesthood is from the order of Melchizedek. He was a priest before God forever, it says. Jesus is not one of priests among many priests in the pantheons of hev heavenly intermediaries. As we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there is one God, one mediator, who can reconcile God to humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. Nor is he a heavenly priesthood over an order of priests here on earth, to serve as go-betweens between the church, passive lay people, and approaching the altar of God, and has to be an ordained clergyman in order to do that. Jesus Christ is the church's only priest. He is the perfect priest. He is the unique priest, the one and only, the only begotten priest. Instead of having an earthly priest, every believer has become a priest in their own right. We are an ambassador for Jesus Christ, as Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, in the order of Aaron, there were many priests, but there was only one high priest. In the same picture of the church today, we are many priests, but we only have one high priest, which is Jesus Christ. We don't need to go through a high priest in a temple or a tabernacle to approach God. We approach him through our high priest, Jesus Christ. 
Now, in the church's present age, Aaron's Old Testament priesthood is finished. Along with all those continual offering of sacrifices, Jesus alone is our final high priest. He is alone is our final and complete sacrifice. The subject of Christ's perfect priesthood isn't some dry doctrine that we study. It is a vital truth that we need to apply to our lives. I want to share with you three essential thoughts regarding Christ's priesthood and how he meets our needs today. And these are also found in your bulletin insert. First, we need a priest who isn't prejudiced. Unlike the world corrupt leaders, the politicians, the crooked institutions that we have to deal with today, Christ's perfect priesthood doesn't arbitrarily and unjustly discriminate. Paul wrote, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus, which is Galatians chapter 3.28. As we come humbly before our perfect high priest, it doesn't matter whether you were born of privilege or poverty, whether you have a PhD or didn't even get your GED. It's no matter if you're in the military, whether you're a general or a private. Nobody can pull strings with, manipulate, or bribe our heavenly advocate. He is on our side, making intercession for us. Second thought is, we need a permanent priest. Because we're full-time sinners, we need a full-time mediator. Because we face any moment crisis, it seems like every day, he is our every moment representative. Imagine if we only had the good fellowship with God by going and traveling hundreds of miles to a particular place a certain time of year through a specific order of ministers to have our sins removed or forgiven. Instead, our high priest is everywhere present. He never takes time off, and he's always ready to listen to our prayers anytime we're ready to offer our prayers. And the third thought is we need a priest who assures us a place, our place. Only a priest who has demonstrated perfect obedience and has offered a perfect sacrifice can ensure that we have a place of rest that we talked about last week, a place that's secure in him. If Jesus were only a really good priest rather than a perfect priest, or if he were just an above-average sacrifice for most of our sins, rather than a final sacrifice for all of our sins, then we would have room to worry about how secure our salvation really is. But he is the perfect priest. We can have confidence and place our security in him. The rest that we learned about last week, the rest that we are to have in Christ, is because we have a high priest who's a perfect advocate for us. We can fully rest because we have that perfect high priest who is continually interceding for us. It's not once a year, as in the Old Testament. It's not bringing sacrifices to him. It's offering our prayers to him continually. That's why Paul says in his letters to pray unceasingly, continuously, because as our prayers go to Christ, he's offering our prayers before God and says, not guilty, we've forgiven your sins. God has forgiven all of our sins. We go to him in order to remain that relationship with him. And that's what this application today, comparing the priesthood of Aaron with the priesthood of Christ, our great high priest. Next Sunday, we'll continue our series through this adventure through the book of Hebrews. 
Today was the first of 10 messages in the second section of Hebrews, which is Christ is superior as our high priest. And next week, we'll learn that God doesn't want us just to survive in our lives, just to barely get along, but he wants us to thrive with an abundant life that he's given us in a message that will be titled, The Peril of Failing to Thrive. So if you would, read Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 8 for next week's message. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you most of all for our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who is our advocate, who is our intermediary, who is constantly bringing our request to you. And through him, we are made perfect, just as he is perfect. Through him, our sins are gone, just as he never sinned. And yes, he fully understands us because he went through all the suffering and all the trials and all the temptations that we do, Father, yet without sin, and which allowed him to be our high priest, our great high priest, Father. And we give you thanks for this. Let us never forget that we can come before your throne boldly with our requests, our concerns, our prayers, and anything that is brought before you, Father, is through our high priest, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.